0: We, we come to a book that is very near and, and dear to my heart. And truthfully, this has been one of the harder ones to, to fit into this overall theme that we've been looking at, this book study that we've been going through in, in the Scriptures because I feel like Nehemiah is an individual that I know so well and and there's there's a part of me that just wants to to preach about this this amazing man. I realized late 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 last night as I was trying to finish this up <laughs> it was a busy week that we We really can't look at this book without looking at the man. And as I thought about Nehemiah, I I thought about some, some, some quotes from other powerful, godly individuals. Oswald Sanders says this, It is possible to move men through God by prayer alone. It is possible. John Bunyan would say, you can do more than pray after. Notice that, after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Prayer should be central to the believer's life. Charles Swindoll says this, Vision is essential for survival. It is spawned from faith, sustained by hope, sparked by imagination, and strengthened by enthusiasm. It is greater than sight, deeper than a dream, broader than an idea. Vision encompasses vast vistas outside the realm of the predictable, the safe the expected. No wonder we perish without it. He would also say vision is looking at life through the lens of God's eyes. As we come to Nehemiah, as we come to this book, it's it's named after, after this man because he plays such a crucial role amongst the pages of this powerful book. But as we, as we look at these pages, we see a man who was a man of prayer. We see an individual who had vision. And, and truth be told... I think those characteristics are lacking in the church today. Individuals who are are characterized by their prayer life, characterized by having a vision for God. You see, Nehemiah had the audacity To look at life he had the audacity to look at life as though God actually existed imagine that and not only does God exist that he had a plan and a purpose for this life do you live that way and then he would actually talk to God as if God could do something Huh. Imagine that. I mean, what would a man look like that had that kind of perspective on life? I was very tempted to to make this study a Father's Day message, but the book goes so much broader than that. But we need men and women who have the audacity to look at life as though God exists. That He is actually working in your life and mine. And then talk to Him in our prayers as if He is going to do something. That's kind of a bold way to talk to God, isn't it? Because when you and I pray, and, and we have to understand that prayer is God's work. Understand that when you and I pray, we are admitting to ourselves and confessing to Him that we need Him. Do you need God in your life? Then pray more. When you and I pray, He actually begins to work and prepare our hearts. Don't don't get sucked into the idea that, that praying is to impact and change other people. God can do that and he does. But when we pray, he prepares and works in our hearts. And the more we pray, the more, and this is scary, we actually have his perspective on life. Imagine seeing life as God sees things it's a whole different perspective when we pray the more we pray the more we we trust god the more we realize he is working not he can work he is working and when we pray This is the cool thing. God actually does some really great things. And you get a front row seat because you have been engaging on your knees before God in prayer about those things. It's quite exciting. And we find this man, Nehemiah, already a praying man, I can tell you that because of how he responds. Show me a believer in crisis, and I will tell you whether or not they are a praying man or woman by the way they respond to that crisis. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be overwhelming, that it's not going to be hard, that you're not going to see grief, all those things. No. But there is a difference in an individual, a man or woman, who has a life of prayer. And their vision is impacted by it. We come to this book of Nehemiah in 13... Thirteen to fourteen years have passed since the, the last word of Ezra. And remember, Ezra and Nehemiah were originally written as one complete work. Ezra most likely being the author of both. But as, as we come to Nehemiah, We we see a book and we see the man's character throughout its pages. We can't separate that. Nor should we. Nehemiah's character is, is seen throughout these pages and in many of the pages we are referencing Nehemiah's journals or records of his thoughts, his experiences, and what occurred. And Ezra no doubt is taking those and working them into this writing, this book. We notice his character when Nehemiah receives some news his brother comes back and delivers news about Jerusalem. The walls are torn down, they're burnt, the city is in shambles. And this message from his brother, unbeknownst to Nehemiah, will change the course and direction of Nehemiah's life. Have you ever received news like that? A, a message, a, a phone call from a doctor from a friend, a family member, and that news changes the course of the rest of your life and where it will go. This news breaks the heart of Nehemiah. But look at how he responds. I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard these words, Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and wept. We get those messages, don't we? And I mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He receives this news and his response is grief. And church, there should be certain things that we see and hear in life that our correct response should be grief. There are certain things in life that should break the heart of believers. But not only does his heart break, he turns to God. He sets all other things aside and he goes to God in in focused prayer. I I want us to look at his prayer. Throughout the book, I mean, this book, you will find Nehemiah will break out into prayer throughout this book. It's wonderful to see. I love reading the prayers of, of the saints in the scripture. How many of you have ever done that and just been amazed with how people talk to God sometimes? Oh my goodness, I'm like, we can say that to God? I mean, it makes sense that we can, because he already knows our thoughts, right? But Nehemiah has some bold, bold prayers in, in this book. I mean... As, as Nehemiah, we're going to look at his first prayer here in just a minute, but as he goes to, to God, he does several things, and I want you to see this as we read his prayer, but, and we look at his prayer in that first chapter. But he declares who God is. That's a good way to start a prayer, isn't it? To remind yourself, you're not reminding God. God knows who he is, okay? But he reminds himself who God is. And he declares it in a beautiful way. And then he, he, in his prayer, declares the characteristics of God. He hasn't asked one thing. He hasn't said one thing other than declaring who God is. And he reminds God of his faithfulness. I think Nehemiah needed to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Seeks God for Himself and for His nation. What a wonderful blessing that that we can we can go before God on behalf of our, our own needs but also on behalf of the needs of others in the church. In fact, here, just a, just a second. Sorry. We're not videoing anyway, so, you know. Cameras broke. We have to get a new camera. Pray about that. that there's a prayer request for you. Okay? But, but here's, right in the front, okay, you got a nice stack like this, okay, in, in your seat bags. It's every other seat, but here, we'll set these aside. Okay. right here what would happen if the church engages on their knees for one another oh pastor I'm a private individual okay why can't we pray for each other it's a biblical mandate by the way But he goes on behalf of his nation. And you know what he says? He confesses his sin. And he confesses the sin of his people before God. God, you are righteous, we are sinful. You are faithful, we are faithless. You have remained constant, we have wavered. He goes back. Have you ever ever prayed scripture to God before? Oh, it's such a beautiful thing. What an amazing thing to declare the words of God back to God in humility and excitement. Remembering. And he reminds God of all the promises that he, he declared to Israel, his people. Then he says this, look at verse 11. He says all those things first and here is the prayer. Here is his request. Oh Lord. Nehemiah 1:11. Let's put that up on the screen there. He says, "Oh Lord, I beseech you." That's like pleading with you. I beg you. May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name. God, please listen. And make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Nehemiah is looking to go before the king. He says, God, I want you to give me success. I want you to give me compassion in his eyes. Amen. You know what? Prayer does something else. It helps us be patient. Because we read that verse, and we read, God, give me grace today in his presence. In the very next word, we read this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. It goes on. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. So keep that verse up there. Do you realize four months have passed? Four months have passed. And here we see the answer to the prayer. How many of you are faithful to pray for four months and wait on God? I don't know about you, but I have really gotten comfortable having a microwave. I push the timer of how long I want it to take. And it goes ding, and it's done. And sometimes we pray to God, we say amen, ding, and we want it. Okay, at least I do. You guys are probably much more patient than me. Look at this. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that the wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. He's the cupbearer to the king, by the way. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. What an observant king. What a terrifying position for Nehemiah. In those days, you were not allowed to show emotion in front of the king. You did not do that because it could change his mood. (laughs) This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Four months this has been on his heart. I said to the king let the king live forever that's a very good way to start a sentence with the king by the way O oh, king live forever why should my face not be sad when the city the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire then the king said to me What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. That's an interesting response. Prayer. Four months go by, God answers his prayer. The the opportunity by the king of most of the world at that time says, What would you request? And Nehemiah's first knee jerk reaction is to pray. I love it. He you know what? He he doesn't look to the king to provide. He's looking to God. What a focus. I love that about this man. And and he makes his petition He makes his petition when opportunity comes is your knee-jerk reaction to pray or to seize the opportunity i hope it's to pray because what he does here is ne- nehemiah responds clear he's ready he's poised it's amazing what four months of prayer concerning a topic will do to your heart in that moment And he goes to God and he responds clearly. Nehemiah has a plan. He gives the king a timeline. He has been before God in this. He is ready to answer. And Nehemiah requests resources and letters. Decrees, so to speak. Thus says the king. And Nehemiah um, chapter 2, 7 and 8 records this. This is very important in scripture. We'll come back to it at the end. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king. He's so diplomatic. I love that about Nehemiah. Let letters be given for the governors and the provinces beyond the river that they may allow me to pass through it until I come to Judah. Take note of that. And a letter to Asaph the keeper of the king's forest, so that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house which I will go. And the king granted them to me. Why? Because I was so eloquent in my request, because I was so wise and discerning in how I gave these orders. No. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. Wow. Prayer does an amazing thing in a person's life, doesn't it? You actually believe that God is working. Woo! Amazing. I love what prayer does in the heart of a person speaking of myself and we see his prudence he never mentions in any of his requests Jerusalem by name it's always a region of Judah his hometown his his home we see a very wise response here as Jerusalem would have stirred up some some things in Artaxerxes he gives God the re- glory regardless of when we pray, when we engage with God, we give God glory continually. Why? Because we're constantly going to God. We have to. And then, he cast a clear vision for, for the king. Verses 17 and 18 show that. He says, Then I said to them, this is back at, in, in Jerusalem, he says to them, He goes over, he gets all of this, and he goes to the nation, and he casts a vision. Nehemiah has a plan, but he wants to get the people on board. Look at this. I said to them, You see the bad situation we're in. Look around, things are bad. He's real, he's realistic that Jerusalem is desolated its gates are burned by fire, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a reproach. Let us build. Not I will build. Let us build. We're going to do this, he says. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. Also about the king's words in which he had spoken to me. Then they said... You know, it's interesting, when you tell people God's doing something, they get excited. Have you ever ever heard God of doing something, you're like, I want to be a part of that. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to go to work. Not to go to work, sorry, the good work. they jumped on board what a vision he cast here now with with everything we've been looking at through through Ezra and now Nehemiah we see there's opposition right anytime God is doing something anytime there's a work of God there is going to be opposition how many of you have faced opposition this last week good you were probably doing something God wanted you to then now there is opposition that's just opposition so discern that I get opposition when I'm not following God. It's usually from the Lord directing me back. But they face opposition and it comes in the form of, of the, these individuals, Ballot and Tobiah. Okay? And as you go through, these guys' names are all over the book. They are a constant thorn in the side. They, they present obstacles and fierce opposition. It's rough. It is scary. It is fearful. They lie, slander, they discourage. They go in they're like, we're going to tell lies back to the king. You know what Nehemiah does? Look at verse 20. I love this. I wish I could have this response every time someone tries to come and discourage me. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we are his servants, we his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right? Or memorial in Jerusalem. Be gone. God's the one that's doing this. God's going to give the success. I mean, what a focus. He doesn't go and try to to change their lives, to, to write what they're saying. He doesn't get involved in any of that. He says, here's the facts, guys. God's doing this work, and I'm jumping on board, and so are the people. Nehemiah, what, a, what, what vision! And once again, he is watching, he is looking at life through the lens of, of, of God. It's like, well, God's doing this, so he's going to be the one to get it done. And we see prayer each and every step of the way. I want you to see one of his prayers. I I just want to look at one about this opposition. He's blunt. Chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Hear, O God, hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads, and give them for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Whoa. You can actually ask God for that? That is a bold statement that he's making here. And as we go through the pages of this book, we see that character in Nehemiah exhibited throughout. You're like, are we ever going to get to the whole book? Yeah, we have five minutes left. (laughs) No, a little more time than that. But let's look at this overview of this amazing book. There's two distinct sections. And... And in both sections, God required a, a man of prayer. God required a man of vision to work in and through. God wants to do works today, folks. Are you that man or woman of God that God can work in and through? He has to work in you first before He can work through you. Chapters 1 through 7, it's, it's the construction phase, okay? This is the building phase of the wall in these seven chapters. It's very exciting. There's a lot of drama that occurs. And there's a focus that, of, of getting these walls up. There's an urgency. Walls were important back then. And we see Nehemiah draw the people together. Unity. Unity. Do you realize that when people come together, when the church comes together, when God's people come together, amazing things happen. It's no wonder that Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, would pray for the unity of his people. These people worked side by side. I loved how it described as you go through it. So-and-so worked beside so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so beside so-and-so. Guess what? They're all working on a portion. But when you put those portions together, it's a wall. And God was working. And when battles would come, the battle was all of theirs. When discouragement and attacks come, do you allow other people to engage with you in prayer? To sit beside you and weep with you, laugh with you, rejoice? Or in their case, draw swords. It's kind of crazy. As they're building, guess what? There was a season where they were discouraged. The attacks were coming. and, And they were looking at this and they became fearful. Nehemiah rises up and he says, no. Grab a sword in this hand. Work in this hand. Build with this. Be ready. Church, we have to understand that sometimes when we are working for God, there is a time to be ready and engaged together. And when we do, God works in such beautiful, powerful ways. You know, they had the, the external attacks, Sam ballot and Tobiah, those were obvious attacks. They had some internal ones as well. It's those internal ones, honestly, that are much more dangerous. There's the upper class, there was the lower class. And the upper class were taking advantage of that, uh, that underclass, discouraging them, taking from them. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah is part of that upper class, by the way. You're a cupbearer to the king. You, you have something. You're one of the most important individuals in that kingdom. He comes. He's the governor of, of Jerusalem there by the king's orders. Ruling, appointing. He has resources. And Nehemiah leads by example. And he tells those leaders, you will stop oppressing your brothers. He reminds them, guys, you are family. You don't do this. You come together. You don't tear each other apart. And honestly, I think Nehemiah was greater, his greater concern was to the internal attacks than to the external. At least the external, everybody saw. The internal, all oh, those would t- tear them apart. 52 days and the wall is built. By the way, that is an amazing feat. So much so in in chapter 6, look at this. Look at this, chapter 6, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the uh, 25th of the month of Elu in 52 days. When all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations surrounding us saw it, they lost their confidence. (laughs) I bet. For they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. It's amazing what happens when a leader is constantly going to God and asking for his help. Your enemies, when they see the work done, when they see the progress, they're like, oh crud, they're God's working. What an amazing thing when we express to others that we are praying to God for something and they see God work in your life and mine. Chapter 8-13 through 13 is the instruction part. We always focus on the construction, but the instruction was was beautiful. In fact, I I love chapter 8. It is such a powerful chapter. Ezra, Nehemiah, they come together and they go before the people. They lead them, and you know what they do? They had, oh my goodness, chapter 8, they read scripture. I've had people leave our church before. You know why? Because I preach from the Bible. All you do is talk about the Bible. Yes, yes I do. Because this is God's authority. Because this, when I look at the world around me through God's Word, I have a biblical worldview. You have a biblical worldview. And we begin to see our God in greater ways. Do you realize that that these people would hear the Scriptures read? Chapter 8, verse 8 says this. They read from the book, from the law of God. They read from Deuteronomy most likely. The whole congregation stood as it was read. That's a long book to read through standing. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating it into, to give the sense so that they understood the reading. As they would go through, they would explain what God was saying about, about their sin, about what God expected long sermon. Then Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levite, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord our God. Do not mourn or weep. Do you know why they said that? Look at the next sentence. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law folks God's word is powerful it has the ability to cut straight to the soul Do you know why I read God's Word? Do you know why I preach from God's Word? Because nothing I say is going to be impacting. It's God's Word that holds the power, holds the authority. They wept. They saw their God. They saw their hearts, and they wept before God. Has God's word ever had that kind of power in your life? You look at it, you reflect and you weep. God's Word purifies the individual. God's Word protects us. It convicts. I love the quote that says, "Defend the scriptures? Question mark. <laughs> It'd be like defending a lion. Let it loose. And it will defend itself. God's Word has the ability to stand on its own. If you're sharing Christ with someone, share God's Word. Read it to them. Allow God to speak. It's powerful. And I will encourage you to read the scripture, I will preach from the scripture until the Lord calls me home. We see in this the second section as their hearts are purified and instructed in God's word that they celebrate the feast once again. It is amazing when we come to God's word and it just brings joy and excitement, doesn't it? Nehemiah leaves for a time, goes back, and then he comes and returns to Jerusalem. And to his dismay, he finds the people are sinning again. Once again, we end a book and we're left wanting. We're left looking for something greater, something bigger, something to come. I'm going to close with the setting. You know, normally you, you start a, a message with the setting so everyone understands. I'm going to close with the setting because this book, Nehemiah, is, is the last book written in the Old Testament, actually. Malachi is written right around this time of, of Nehemiah challenging the hearts of the people because their hearts have grown distant. We've looked at Chronicles, Ezra, in these books of history. I'm gonna skip a couple slides, guys. Stay with me. But as we we come to this, we we see that God is is changing. We looked last week at a at a slide that showed the overview of just God's working with, with the Gentile authorities. And as God is working with them, we read in in Daniel that at the time of Nebuchadnezzar, this was was a time that God would work with the Gentiles. It's called the age of the Gentiles or the time of the Gentiles. God was not done with his people. God's still going to work with his people Israel. But God is revealing on, on the, the stage of humanity that his heart is for all people. He is setting the stage in such a beautiful, powerful way. I mean, think about it. He, he has revealed his plan all the way back from Abraham and before. But Jerusalem has now returned The people are back in their hometown of Jerusalem, the capital city. The temple has been built. The walls have been erected and and established. The people have returned back to God's Word. The sacrifices are in place. But what about the kingdom? What about the king? What's next? Think about where we've come so far in the history as we've gone and spanned the Old Testament. God was faithful to Abraham and kept his promise and brought the people into the promised land. God has been faithful to his word to discipline those people he loves. God was faithful to bring them back. Chapter 13 of Nehemiah shows that there is a heart issue. The truth is, is that heart issue is the same today. 400 years would, would pass where, where God would, would not send any new prophets, any new scripture for His people. The prophets had all come and gone, and we're going to be looking at those in the months ahead. But the clock was ticking. The clock was ticking. I'm going to close with this verse here. In Daniel chapter 9, we read this. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks it will be built again with plaza and mo, even in times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its inn will come with a flood. Even to the end, lost my place even to the end there will be war desolations are determined see Daniel had declared that when the decree was given to rebuild Jerusalem the clock would start in Nehemiah 2.8 we have record of the date given the clock began to tick The Messiah was coming. And the people should be getting ready. The Messiah came. That was Jesus Christ. He lived that life. He died that death for your sin and mine. Three days later, rose again from the dead. Victorious King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You and I have the opportunity to engage in relationship with the Messiah. But He is coming back. And the clock is ticking. Let's pray. God, we want to be a people of prayer. So may we pray more. May we engage forward in this battle that that we are in. On our knees in prayer to you. God, please give us a vision, your vision, God. To see the things we go through, the opportunities, the obstacles, the way you see them. Oh God, you are alive, you are real. I pray that we would live our life that way. God, thank you for this book of Nehemiah. Thank you for the example it sets forth as we wait for your return. God, may we live for you. We thank you for doing something about that heart issue through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.